0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 30. As we go through Jeremiah, at least to this point, you might be thinking, is the entire book about judgment? The answer is no. Only most of it is about judgment. You'll recall back in chapter 1, verse 10 where the Lord says to Jeremiah, See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Six things, only two of which are positive. The other four uh, are negative. And that really is kind of the, the, the pattern that we find in Jeremiah. It is a book announcing God's judgment, and yet it is a book that offers his grace as well. And so uh, keep that in mind as we go through uh, chapter 6. Flee for safety, O people of Benjamin, from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa and raise a signal on beth Hacharem, for disaster looms out of the north and great destruction. The lovely and delicately bred I will destroy, the daughter of Zion." Shepherds with their flocks shall come against her. They shall pitch their tents around her. They shall pasture each in his place. Prepare war against her. Arise and let us attack at noon. Woe to us for the day declines, for the shadows of evening lengthen. Arise and let us attack by night and destroy her palaces. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Cut down her trees, cast up a siege mound against Jerusalem. This is the city that must be punished. There is nothing but oppression within her. As a well keeps its water fresh, so she keeps fresh her evil. Violence and destruction are heard within her. Sickness and wounds are ever before me. Be warned, O Jerusalem, lest I turn from you in disgust, lest I make you a desolation an uninhabited land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They shall glean thoroughly as a vine the remnant of Israel, like a grape-gatherer, pass your hand again over its branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you, saying, Pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words, and as for my law, they have rejected it. What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble. Fathers and sons together, neighbor and friend, shall perish. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people is coming from the north country. A great nation is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. They lay hold on bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring sea. They ride on horses, set in array as a man for battle against you, O daughter of Zion. We've heard the report of it. Our hands fall, helpless. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain as of a woman in labor. Go not out into the field, nor walk on the road, for the enemy has a sword. Terror is on every side. O daughter of my people, put on sackcloth and roll in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. I've made you, he's talking to Jeremiah, a tester of metals among my people, that you may know and test their ways. They are all stubbornly rebellious, going about with slanders. They are bronze and iron, all of them act corruptly. The bellows blow fiercely, the lead is consumed by the fire. In vain the refining goes on, for the wicked are not removed. Rejected silver they are called, for the Lord has rejected them. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to your word this evening, uh, to this weighty and lengthy passage that we've read. Father, we pray that you would impress on us the truths that Jeremiah speaks of here as they relate to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 6 rounds out the section that introduces the book of Jeremiah. We saw back in chapter 1 that the Lord calls Jeremiah. Uh, to serve as his spokesman, to be a prophet of the Lord. And then chapters two through six uh, form what really is an opening salvo uh, in which the Lord declares his displeasure with his wayward and adulterous people and where he announces the coming judgment because of their rebellion and their persistent rebellion. Even major reform efforts like that under King Josiah, where high places were removed, uh, where ancient uh, institutions were recovered, even that, even those reform efforts, it seemed merely scratched the surface. The people's hearts were still far from the Lord. The uh, Baal worship sites, the Asherah poles may have been removed from the high places, but apparently, they had not been removed from the people's hearts. The people still persisted in their sin, as we've seen. And so, chapters two through six, and this closes out this opening section, uh, introduces this uh, this this grievance, this complaint, actually a lawsuit that the Lord brings against His people, including in this chapter, calling witnesses uh, against His people. But the people's hearts were still far from the Lord. But you may think, okay, well, I see that, uh, but what about us? What about in our day? Well, we want to be careful as we look at how this passage applies to our day. It's easy to look out at the world and say, well, it's a wicked world and God's judgment is coming. That's true. But we have to remember that Jeremiah is not addressing the world. He's addressing the church. He's addressing God's covenant people in their waywardness. And dear friends, you can look at the church across the United States, the church in Europe today, and you can find many people who name the name of Christ and yet promote those things that are a complete opposite of what Christ taught uh, and uphold standards that turn biblical standards upside down. And uh, certainly God's word would come to those, but it also comes to us. Because our hearts, in many ways, are very similar to the hearts of those who lived in Jerusalem, the daughter of Zion, in Jeremiah's day. Uh, We know our own hearts. We know our own sin. And so what Jeremiah says here has to speak to us today as well. Well, the first thing that Jeremiah announces here, as he's been, uh, as he has been talking about in the chapters we've seen, is that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming upon Jerusalem. Even here, you get the sense that the door is still open a little bit, but not much. There's still an appeal for repentance, but you get the sense that the door is just about to close. And the offer of mercy, the call to repentance, is drawing to a close. Very vigorous announcement of judgment, beginning in verse 1. Flee for safety. Run! You raise a signal, blow the trumpet, disasters coming from the north, great destruction. Remember that initial vision of Isaiah, of that boiling pot pouring out from the north, judgment. And even at this point, we don't know, uh, from Jeremiah's perspective, who that ravaging, invading nation would be. Now, you and I know from our point of view, it was Babylon. But it could have been Assyria, they, it's not named, but there is this threat that would be coming. And the Lord says, the lovely and delicately bred daughter of Zion I will destroy. Judgment is coming. An interesting figure in uh, verse 3. Shepherds with their flocks shall come against her, pitch their tents around her. They shall pasture each in his place. Depicting the army as, as shepherds with their flocks. And just as uh, shepherds, literal shepherds, would bring their flocks into a field and the, the, the sheep would graze in the field, help themselves to what's there. Uh, well, he depicts this army coming in like these sheep and grazing on Jerusalem, eating, taking what is there. Verse 4, uh, indicates that, um, you know, coming, preparing, building siege works, but the sun's going down. And typically in that day, they would begin a battle in the morning. And usually, if it was continuing at, at sundown, they would essentially take a break. Uh, usually would not fight at night, although sometimes they could. And in fact, That's what they say here. Well, woe to us because the sun's going down. However, let's attack by night. Let's destroy the palaces. Uh, A night attack, a difficult thing to do, but terrifying for those who were the objects of the attack. Uh, And again, in verse 6, cutting down trees, building siege works, the city that must be punished. Verse 7, an interesting image. Just as a well keeps its water fresh. So she keeps fresh her evil. This is Jerusalem we're talking about. This is the city that that David ruled over. The city Solomon ruled over. The city whom God sent the prophets. Just like that water keeps its, uh, the well keeps its water. Jerusalem keeps fresh its evil. Refreshing it. Violence, destruction, sickness, wounds. Verse 8, Be warned, O Jerusalem. Lest I turn from you in disgust, lest I make you a desolation, an uninhabited land. Be warned. The judgment of God is coming. There's more description of that in verses twenty two and following. people coming from the north, this great nation uh, with with a bow and javelin, cruel, merciless, the sound of them like Niagara Falls pouring over. There's this roar, like the roaring sea, riding on horses, coming rapidly. And Jerusalem's response: Our hands fall helpless. There's anguish. They don't dare go out. And the appeal to repentance, verse six: Put on sackcloth, roll in ashes, make mourning. As for an only son, the death of one's only son was a, a of any child, of course, was cause for for sadness. But uh, in that day, it was the son that was the economic hope for the future. The son was one's economic security for the future. And the death of an only son was a tragedy indeed, Uh, not only the loss of of a dear child, but uh, putting one's own future in jeopardy, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. Well, great, but none of us is terribly worried about a a, a rampaging Babylonian army, uh, or are we? Uh, I don't think so. And yet, you and I, too, live at a time when God promises that a judgment is coming No doubt there were those in Jerusalem who thought, well, surely God would not destroy Jerusalem. Surely uh, the walls will stand. Surely the temple will protect us. Well, just as judgment did come in their day, we read a warning not entirely unlike what Jeremiah says. This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How patient the Lord had been with Jerusalem, with, with Judah, uh, sending them the prophets, warning them, appealing to them, calling them back, patient, waiting. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see, we too live in a day when God's judgment is coming, and we will actually one day witness that judgment. If we are in Christ, we ourselves will not be, uh, will not find our eternal future Uh, weighing in the balance, hanging in the balance of that judgment. But nevertheless, that day of judgment is coming. It's coming upon this world, coming for all those uh, who are not in Christ uh, as ultimate condemnation. But even for us who are, even for us who take refuge in Christ, it will be a solemn and significant day indeed. And so that's the first thing that Jeremiah says here. Judgment again. Judgment is coming. And that's true for us. There is a day of judgment that is coming that Peter warns of. And there are those people who scoff and say, you know, where's the day? Where's this coming he promised? Uh, Every day follows after another, and things are just going on like they always have. But just as with Jerusalem, so it will be with this world. The judgment of God is coming. Now, you would think that hearing this message, the patience of God, the appeals of the prophets, that there would be response. You'd be wrong. Because as this passage points out, it was met with a shrug. One thing, our hearts are hard. Look at verse 9. Our hearts are hard. There's a spiritual deafness here that's a result of that dead, hardened heart. Verse 9, thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall glean thoroughly as a vine the remnant of Israel. Or possibly saying to Jeremiah, you shall glean like a grape gatherer pass your hand over its branches to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear behold their ears are uncircumcised they cannot listen now that's an odd figure of speech uh, anatomically nonsensical uh, but the point is not anatomy the point is the spirit and the just as the, the circumcised heart that Deuteronomy speaks of was a heart that now was was made clean and a heart for the lord Well, he's basically saying their ears are dead. Their ears have no spiritual life. Uh, They they have not had their sin removed. They're, They're stopped up. They cannot listen. And not only that, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. You see, their hearts are hard, and there's this deafness, this lack of receptivity to the word of God. They scorn it. They take no pleasure in it. Dear friends, if you were a Christian, the Word of God should be something you hunger for, something that is precious to you, not something you can set aside, not something you have no interest in. Let others study it, let others read books about it, let others, uh, read it or listen to, uh, to sermons or lessons on it. I'm not interested. No Christian can say that. If, if you say that, if that really is your heart attitude toward God's Word, listen to what Jer- uh, Jeremiah says, To those who are under God's judgment, they take no pleasure in his word. I think the sign of a healthy Christian, and certainly the sign of a healthy church, is that there is a hunger for, there is a delight in the word of God and the preaching and teaching of the word of God. And where that's lacking, something is very wrong. Our hearts are hard. It results in the spiritual deafness. We certainly see that in our own day, those who scorn the word of God. Those who reject as is outdated, as is old-fashioned, is irrelevant. We see that in our day. But also, there are no exceptions. Uh, look at verse 11. He says, I am full of wrath of the Lord. I'm, Jeremiah says, I'm weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children, gatherings of young men, husband and wife, elderly, the very aged. You see, this is comprehensive. You might think, well, maybe the older ones are wiser. Maybe they know better. They don't. Maybe the younger ones in their enthusiasm for life would know better. They don't. The children, they're covered in this too. There's a deadness that just blankets every strata of society. Their houses will be turned over to others. I'll stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land. Verse 13, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. There's this spiritual deafness. It it just permeates society. And having referred to the prophets and the priests, they provide only superficial answers. They've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Problem? What problem? Problem. Problem with the prophets and the priests. And we'll see this. We'll actually encounter people by name later in Jeremiah that are teaching these kinds of things that, 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 that countered Jeremiah, that said, No, Jeremiah, you're wrong. You're just scaring people. Go away. We'll meet some of them in person by name. But for now, it's just enough to say, uh, Jeremiah says, They've healed the wound of my people lightly. Peace. Everything's okay. God's okay with us. We still have the worship going on. God really doesn't care how people live. God's not that particular. God's job is to forgive. God's a God of love. He just wants us to be happy. He wants us to do what we want to do. And there is no peace. In fact, God's anger was hanging over them, ready to fall. They're at home in sin. Remember this morning, we were talking about that. A Christian cannot be at home in sin. Anyone who is comfortable living in his sin and yet claims faith in Christ is either lying or deceived. Unfortunately, our society doesn't make that distinction. We call people to Christ and too often affirm them in their faith when they show no evidence of a genuine conversion. Well, here, these people, while claiming to be the people of God and perhaps even claiming God's protection were in fact at home in sin. Verse 15, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. See, there was nothing that would make them blush. There was nothing they were ashamed of. Uh, far from being ashamed of their sin, they were, could be quite open about it, quite, quite happy with it. It was just an accepted thing by themselves and others. And unfortunately, while that's all too often true of our society, quite true of our society, it's way way too frequently true of those who profess to be Christians as well. And therefore, God's answer, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Remember Jesus' teaching, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus is saying this this very thing. At that time I will punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. You know, in our own day, uh, what Jeremiah says can certainly be true of the world and of the church. Uh, Paul speaks to this in Romans 3, describing his own day, describing his own society, describing both Jews and Greeks alike under the power of sin. That in our fallen condition, it is true of us, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Jeremiah's day was a lot like Paul's day, which is a lot like our day. You see, our hearts are hard. We're deaf to God's word. We scorn God's word. By nature, we take no pleasure in God's word. It's true of all people. We tend to provide superficial answers. Well, it's God's job to forgive. God wouldn't send anyone to hell. All too often at home in sin. And God's word is clear that his wrath rests on those uh, who have hardened their hearts against him. But not only are your hearts hard, but our religion is empty. All too often, religion is empty. It's, it's, it's just an effort to appease God, to buy off God. And that was certainly true for Jerusalem. Verse 16. A refusal of the truth. This, this is amazing. Thus says the Lord. Here's his people. They're lost. They're wandering. Their religion's a sham. Their hearts are hardened. Thus says the Lord. Verse 16. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. As you know, I am... Uh, uh, fan is not the word, I appreciate the work of J.C. Ryle. Uh, Ryle has a book called Old Paths, that the uh, title is taken from this, from the King James, uh, tr- uh, Ask for the Old Paths, and it's a book of uh, just uh, his teaching on basic doctrines of the Christian faith, kind of the foundational truths of the Christian faith, the old paths. Well, Jeremiah, speaking for the Lord, says, ask for the old paths, the ancient Paths where the good way is. Now he's not saying uh, look, look look to go back to the good old days. He's not pointing them back to some better time. Uh, Philip Ryken, in his sermons on Jeremiah makes a, a good warning, uh, as 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 Ecclesiastes seven does. Don't say the old days were better. You know, there's that tendency as we get older to kind of look back with no doubt rose colored glasses as though somehow an earlier time in our life or maybe an earlier time in history was better. If only we could go back to the 1950s when everybody in America was a Christian, right? Well, wrong. Uh, you know, we, we recently celebrated our, the Reformation Day and, and rightly so. I, that's a great thing to bring to mind, uh, for, for us and for our children to be aware of. But while we celebrate it, we don't want to live there. I mean, the Reformation happened centuries ago. Don't we want another one? Wouldn't we like to see something happen like that in our own day? So Jeremiah is not saying we just need to set the clock back to a better day. He's saying we need to set our hearts back upon better truth, the truths of God, the, the, the old past, the ancient past. What God has revealed to you is covenant with you where the good way is and walk in it. Go back to that truth on which you were founded The truth of God, the grace of God, and find rest for your souls. What's the response? We will not walk in it. They refuse. Don't want those truths. Is that 17. I set watchmen over you saying pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. They said we won't pay attention. So their religion is empty. They refuse the truth of God. They prefer their own lies and delusions to the truth of God. Not only did they refuse truth, but they practice empty, meaningless religious ritual. Verse eighteen. Therefore, hear, O nations; know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth; behold, I'm bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they've not paid attention to my words. As for my law, they've rejected it. And so God says, verse twenty: What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, our sweet came from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices are not. Pleasing to me. Therefore, the Lord says, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks and they will perish. You see, they reject this truth. They practice a religion that outwardly conformed to the rules, perhaps, but their hearts were not in it. And uh, they perhaps incorporated some elements of Baal worship and all of that. But at least we're also practicing that. God says, I can't stand it. I don't want it. I don't like it. It doesn't mean anything to me. It reminds me of Isaiah one. You know, the Lord says, "Quit bringing me meaningless sacrifices." Well, that's what they were doing. Hard hearts, empty religion, and then perhaps most dismaying, God's chastening fails. Now, I will tell you in my notes here, I have "fails" in quotation marks because. God's work, anything God does, will not and cannot fail. In fact, God's purposes were being worked out. But I say fail in the sense that God has warned them, God has chastened them, God has disciplined them, and yet they have still persisted in their sin, all of which was part of a complex of God's purposes for them to bring judgment ultimately. And yet on the human level, God has brought all of this, and it is without effect. Look at verse 27. Tell you what, make it, uh yeah, 27, because uh, 20, 22 through 26 was describing the invading army. But look at verse 27. An interesting description here for Jeremiah. God says to Jeremiah in verse 27, I have made you a tester of metals and a sayer, a tester of metals among my people, that you may know and test their ways. So, just as Isaiah had been appointed, as we saw uh, before, to go throughout the city and look for a righteous person. God says to him, now you are, you are like a, a metallurgist and I want you to test the metal and perhaps refine the metal. And yet this refining effort fails. Look at verse 28. They are all stubbornly rebellious, going about with slanders. They are bronze and iron. All of them act corruptly. The bellows blow fiercely. The lead is consumed by the fire. Now he's describing here this process of purifying metal, of, of getting the uh, impurities out and, and getting the silver. Separating out the impurities and, and refining, purifying the silver. And yet, and, and the bellows is blowing, lead consumed by the fire, and yet in verse 29, in vain The refining goes on, for the wicked are not removed. Despite the best efforts of uh, Jeremiah, the tester of metals, the purities are not removed. Derek Kidner, one commentator, scholar, commentator on Jeremiah, says, It emerges that the people of Judah are not, so to speak, precious metal marred by some impurities, but base metal from which nothing of worth can be extracted. They're the dross. It's not as though God's people here are the silver and the dross can just be burned away. It turns out they themselves are the impurity. They are the dross. And how true it is that uh, for us, too, uh, we can't. Keep a foot in both worlds, so to speak, which was Jerusalem's mistake. They hadn't wholesale abandoned God so much as they also wanted to worship the Baals and the Asherahs and other Canaanite deities. They still kind of practiced the worship of Yahweh a little bit. But you see, many Christians try to maintain that mix. And dear friends, we can't be both silver and dross. God refines us. God sanctifies us. God is removing the dross, the impurities from from our hearts. Uh, But we try sometimes in our sin to be both, to retain the dross. Jeremiah's purifying efforts were in vain. The impurities are not removed. And so verse 30 is the verdict. Rejected silver, they are called, for the Lord has rejected them. Well, as with Judah and Jeremiah's day, we find ourselves also with a choice. We can repent and walk with God, or we can persist in rebellion against him and face his judgment. The reality is that God's judgment is coming upon the world, upon the church. Too many people ignore it with hard hearts. Too many people try to appease God by empty ritual. who refuse to be changed by the word of God. They cry, peace, peace. But for them and their sin, there is no peace. Well, one day it won't be the word of God coming in judgment. One day it won't be the Babylonian army coming in judgment. It will be Christ himself who comes in judgment upon the world and purifying fire. Malachi 3 tells us, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. The good news is that the Christ who will come as judge has already come as Savior. He alone is the fortress that will protect us from the judgment of God, a judgment that will make the Babylonian army look like a preschool class on a field trip. Flee to Christ in faith and be safe. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Who will endure? Who will stand? The man or the woman who has fled to Christ in faith for refuge. Let's pray. Our Father, the world mocks the idea of judgment. We caricature it. We ridicule it. We don't really believe it. And yet deep down in our hearts, Lord, we know it's true. Our very sense of right and wrong tells us that there must come a day of reckoning. And yet so many, Lord, suppress the truth in their unrighteousness, in their love of their sin, their refusal to hear your word. Father, may it not be so with us. May it not be so with anyone who is a part of this congregation. Father, we recognize the waywardness of our own hearts We pray, O God, that you would reign over our hearts. We pray that we would be responsive to your discipline and your chastening. We pray, God, that you would give us a heart to love you, a heart to hunger for and to find precious your word. Father, we pray that all of these signs that Jeremiah describes that indicate uh, lostness, sinfulness, rebellion, would not be true of us, but just the opposite. Father, that we would have hearts that are soft toward you, that our religion would be the outward expression of an inward heart for you, and Father, that any time you find sin in our hearts and you chasten us for it, that we would respond in humility and in repentance, that we would be your people, and that we would be with you in glory forever. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.